Welcome to the Great Base Tennis Podcast. This is your co-host Andy Fitzell alongside Steve Smith. Episode 44 this week, we are continuing our conversation about Dennis Vandermeer. Dennis Future, Van- soon-to-be Hall of Famer, coach, legend, South African. A few notes from last week. Yeah, talk to me. With uh, mistakes. Never. We have eight pillars. I said two of eight pillars, so I said, yeah. No, no, no. So your mistakes. <laughs> oh, I made lots of mistakes. No. <laughs> In fact, kidding. I want you to start I helping mean, me. Keep me on path because try, we I feel try. like we have a path to share. Yeah, we do. Two of eight pillars would be 25%, but I said two of four. Friend well, of our, just friend, use a little simple multiplication. Friend of, ours, got uh, eight. friend of ours from the Great White North, Danny Cooper, he said, you asked me. Daniel. If, um, and as Vandermeer came to our program for seven days, I said, no, no, he came for a week. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, no, no. He was here for a week. South African discipline we talked about. It reminds me of uh, 50 years ago when I was in a boarding school, coat and tie, conversation with a professor and spouse, which fork to use. Um, mm. Outside s- in. Some of those, uh, yeah, some of those uh, buttons are not being pushed anymore. When asked what I do, yeah. what I say often is, instead of saying I'm a tennis teacher, tennis educator, I have the res- this response, I fight ignorance every day. Yeah, I've I think, adopted that several times. I like it. I think that uh, Dennis Vandermeer fought ignorance every day. He did it with most days with a smile on his face. Um, Dennis, there's so many things we got to go through here. Uh, he told me once that he, he always wanted to employ the best player on the island. Yvonne Goulagong lived in Hilton Head Island. Stan Smith still does. Yeah. So I'm not referring to the past champions, but John Hill for the longest time. But uh, it's it's very true that many times in a small town, small city, the best player is looked upon as the most knowledgeable, the expert. Yeah, I mean, that still continues today in, in all aspects of it, right? Where- yeah, you just have to look at television commentators, the way they're selected. Uh, another example for fighting ignorance, being so convincing, taking on all all doubters, changing the grips on volleys. Now, Dennis would say, once a kid can hit a spin serve, then the would be the option to serve the continental. But he, he, you know, he would talk about how you have to tweak the elbow and the wrist if someone had a continental grip, and even how what how he used to uh, show what pe- players would do with their forearm. Yeah, he would like you know they use the extensor muscle to to yeah. change things. Um, Which is true. I mean, if, if you have the strength to, to make those adjustments with the wrist or your forearm, but, but so you, fundamentally. So you have a kid in the ready position, racket set, neutral position, and they turn and they don't change the grip. The next time they turn and they change the grip, Dennis would say, what takes more time? And of course, they take the same amount of time. Right. You just have to train yourself to do that. Exactly. Um, these are just some notes from uh, in between last week's episode in this, but we'll mm-hmm. come back to instant tennis. Why and how Dennis got tennis players to play doubles so fast. He first, he teach the serve, then he would teach the volley, mm-hmm. you know, turn racket back and down. That was something that was a, a step in the PTR test, but Dennis, you know, hundred percent taught a loop, but he just made it so simple. Okay. Now we can serve. You want to be, you can block the return. Yeah. You know, just, um, you know, then you, you know, you counter speed with speed. Um, and you just get underneath and you just go. Everybody goes. Do it where even the returner has to come in. Mm. Um, Mike Carter, I'll talk a little bit about him later. Somebody we trained to teach tennis. He was with us for five years. I remember one one time him saying, 
it's amazing. There's three, five players, and it looks like they're playing advanced doubles with Dennis. Mm. Uh, Dennis worked with Jeff Borowiak. You look him up, an American tennis player, highly accomplished musician. Dennis's advice, remember him talking about Dennis Borowiak, always be an original. I tell kids this all the time. Don't be a copycat. And that's really so important now with YouTube clips. Uh, Jeff was certainly his own person, which everyone should strive strive to be. He was once playing a match at the US Open and he decided right in the middle he wanted to keep his headset on and listen to music. Uh, but from that, for our listeners, don't have the off factor. You know, you know, Dennis was not big on kids running around getting autographs. Hmm. If you're in awe of someone, you're stuck on their awesomeness, and then you won't be able you won't be able to do it. They'll be able to do what there they, are, they can do. There are one or two exceptions, right? I mean, I remember all the years I spent at Indian Wells in that tournament with Vic and running the video projects. But for the longest time, the media could co-mingle with the players you know if you weren't a coach there if you were just part of the media you'd all be in the same cafeteria and i used to watch all these players would go up and get their picture taken with roger you know if they were i remember like max Mirny, you know and he had his little baby and he was like goes up to roger and gets his picture taken with roger and yeah. his baby you know no, so i that. think there's one or two exceptions there's in there, great but. stories though like sharapova uh, hingis was you know was older she was training at img training at nick Baltieri's place and all these kids are asking for autographs and Sharapova didn't ask for an autograph. She just asked how long, how many more years are you going to play? And he just kind of stops it. Yeah. Why do you ask? He goes, cause I want to play you. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Dennis holding an audience. Um, Dennis just yeah, not knowing him as a child, he had to be having some fun. He was a prankster, a trickster. I remember Dennis having one of his assistants intentionally interrupting his lecture. Dennis assigned him to do this, tell him, Billie Jean King's on the phone, Dennis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The message was, Billie Jean's on the phone and would like to speak to you right away for just a few minutes. And Dennis would reply, uh, tell her I'll be back. I'll, I'll call her back at lunchtime. Right now, I'm with these fine people. Yeah. Uh, some would say that's a BS tactic. I'm sure a little bit, but Dennis, um, I mean, he was close to Billie. I mean, so many people don't even... They name drop all the time. They don't really even know people. But So he was close to Billie. But every person in the room was like, Feeling special yes, that day. Right. So uh, he went to the nth degree to really captivate his students. And that just, you know, everybody switched on and then learnings increased. Yeah. In the medical world, experience is not measured in years. You talk to physicians, experience is measured in case studies. Dennis certainly had the years for sure. He taught a lifetime of tennis. But perhaps he had the largest um volume of case studies, all the people that he met and taught mm. um, with. Um, Did Dennis hold on to video? Do you know that if he kept a library of past students or? Yeah, you know, I would say not, not the way we do. Uh, that's the influence from Braden documenting development, but. Yeah, documenting everything. Um, no, for sure. Um, just, you know, I would say somewhat, but you have to always think, even like for myself, I mean, basically 20 years younger. And when I started, you know, I think like say I have three older brothers. I mean, they wouldn't have seen, you know, video of them, of themselves skating mm -hmm. where I did. Um, I can remember when I first started coaching. It was real to real. Yeah. VHS was this for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, football coaches, uh, the sequence analyzer, 
Yeah. It's like the book we have by Matram. It's 104 pages and it's, it's like the old penny arcade and you just yeah. flip it and it's, those are cool. Charlie Passarell's back in, Gulagon's back in, Newcomb's serve. Yeah. And you can go one, 1,000, two, 1,000. Yeah. Um, one thing with Dennis, he was an on court and a classroom guy. Um, I think so many people, they climb the ladder and next thing you know is they're just carrying a briefcase. Right. I, I like the, like the ball hopper side of it where you don't get removed from the game. You get out of the trenches. You know, so he was not a con- consultation pro. He was a clinic pro. Mm. Um, you know, so many times there's a round table discussion, there's a meeting mm-hmm. and it's like, let's get out on the court and go to work. Yeah. Um, so many things. Dennis's sound system at Hilton had, um, he was a techie in his own way. Each court was wired with an amplifier. So he could be in his office. He had a really small office. You look out the window, look like 10 courts down. Yeah. You push a button that was attached to a gadget and the gadget, the, the attachment was to uh, attach to his pocket. Yeah. And he, he just would push a button and say, Tom, you're mucking up. <laughs> I told you what to do on your backswing. And the players yeah. would just kind of look up like this. <laughs> They're like, God? <laughs> really? <laughs> um, they would just, as soon as you look around, like, where's Dennis? Yeah. Um, but no, it's true. The expression for, uh, you know, the eyes in the back of your head, someone who's just, you know, taught so much tennis, knowing without knowing, being able to read people so quickly. Um, this is uh, in my notes that we didn't finish from last week. Dennis Vanner says this all the time. Let me show you a little trick. Yeah. Um, something he did on a daily basis. Let me the, show you a trick. The, the little trick was basically a corrective measure. It's a way right. to improve stroke production at a fast and faster rate and it's in a very clever way. We used to say the corrective measure just forces you to do it where you don't have to think about it. Um, for us, I think with our podcast, it really someone like say Dennis is to go back and even have a podcast on corrective measures. You yeah. could you could do it stroke by stroke, right? And I think that's a much better format than you know a magazine format where you're interviewing people. We want to interview people. We want to interview people that will you know, carry the torch from tennis teaching from the past. I think that, um, say with Dennis, I think of Welby Van Horn, same thing, is that Welby knew, gee, on the forehand side, I sh- you know, should have done this. He kept tweaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when he was in his uh, the extended care of the nursing home, um, Dennis would be able to teach and say, okay, we're make, make strokes grow. You teach a backhand volley, and from there, just logical, sequential order i'm gonna now we're gonna teach a one-handed underspin backhand a slice um one of my favorite uh building blocks from dennis vandermeer this is just i think if people take the time to listen to our podcast this in itself in relationship of strokes in relationship of spins yeah, exactly at the ready position you turn you have the volley you get yeah. the ready position turn the volley you turn a little further it turns into the yeah the forehand so it's not so complicated just a genius in making things simplified um, yeah, and you know we use the, the term system a lot, but it, I think it's just better put an organized plan or a pathway, like you said at the beginning of this podcast. You know, yeah, systematic. Um, you know, you say that word, and we talk you, about this you, often. People kind of uh, system, but no, you say, hey, it's an organized plan. It's a pathway, proven pathway. You know, for us, a system is putting a grip sticker on a racket. For us, is you know, how do you position the kid in the viewfinder? I mean, it's, it's okay. Yeah. It's all, yeah, it's plans. 
Yeah. Plan to do it right. Plan to do it right. Plan to do Fish it better. It. Yeah. Instant tennis, placing one ball in the tennis court. I think we talked about that. Two players facing off, field mm-hmm. hockey, ice hockey. Um, and then from that, you know, they're just rallying, boop-de-boop, as he would say. Yeah. Just touch the ball, tap it. Yeah. Another Vandermeer, tap-tap. Um, in fact, we used to tease uh, Craig Todd. He was with us for a long time. His, one of his nicknames was tap-tap. That's what I was just going to say. It reminded me of tap-tap. With... Um, but then, you know, he was, again, trickery is, it, you know, put two balls on a tennis court, and now you're just, you're trying to aim for the tennis ball, and the, the net's a barrier, but tennis would pull it off where they wouldn't even know the net was there. Of course, tennis was yeah. so big in the 70s that um, Dennis would have his, as he would call it, Japanese tape. And it was like the, you see the tape that they have at a crime scene. Yeah. And um Divide the court east and west. Your, your wife showed me a photo yesterday from our library, and she said, I really like this. It's a little girl, and I, she's like five years old, with her back to the camera, in the ready position. Yeah. And I said, look at, the, look at the, the flyers in the middle of the court, the girls facing the east and west, because that was because there were so many kids would come out to tennis. Yeah. Um, that's another whole topic we need to come back to. We need to make tennis more user-friendly, less costly mm-hmm. um, with, so Dennis would increase the distance. The next thing you know, it evolves into mini tennis. Um, mass teaching. So Dennis could be, as I said, 14,000 square feet, 14,000 plus two tennis courts. Next thing you know, he's got all these people rallying. Yeah. Um, Dennis Vandermeer, I had the dubious pleasure and he taught the best tennis players and the worst tennis players in the world. I had the dubious pleasure. Dubious? I think of someone like Margaret Court, Manuel Santana, you know, from Wimbledon champs to weekend hacks. Back in the time, back in the day, uh, some people loved it. Some people hated it. With the late Bud Collins, you know, he would come into everyone's living room and he would say, we hackers. Yeah. Um, what are you talking about? I'm not hackers. Here's a story for you. Jack Winters was an um, writer for Sports Illustrated and Al Parker, what a great tennis player. Mm-hmm. One of the best uh, junior tennis players ever. He anyway, had a very good career in college. Um, you know, he played pro tennis. As I said, Dennis liked gadgets. So, um, and again, so Parker, one of the best juniors in, in American history. Um, so I'm wearing an earpiece. Dennis is wearing an earpiece. The players are wearing earpieces. And I'm coaching... Jack Winters is a writer from Sports Illustrated. Yeah. And of course, Al Parker won 6060. Dennis used to have so much fun. It was just like, you know, he enjoyed telling me that he totally outcoached me. <laughs> great, he had a great sense of humor. Um, with, uh, I think, the late Don Rickles. You know, I think Dennis yeah. perhaps changed from that just a little bit towards the, towards the end. But uh, see that. Um, they go PG-13. He could take the piss out of you. <laughs> um, the writer was just shocked at how well a 12-year-old could play tennis. Mm. Back to corrective measures. So clever. Let me show you a trick. A corrective measures find a way to make people hit the ball quickly, quick fix. I mean, Braden had a book called Quick Fix. Yeah. Um, you know, the example would be like two biggest swing on the forehand. Dennis would use the net. You know, they have to drape the ra- racket over the net. I mean, a tiny tot's not going to do that, but... Um, you know, this, so you just toss the player and every time they hit, the, they hit the net, he would do it against the fence. Yeah. Um, put the racket right in your belly button and then make three circles, feed you the ball, three circles, one, two, three. 
So the racket didn't go way behind you. It was right to the side of your body, then two circles, then one circle. Um, so you just recreate the feeling. Um, and there's, you know, so you had so many ways to, you know, attack a problem, so many ways to fix it. Yeah. So you know, important. I think that, no, I was just going to yeah. say, because so many people, I mean, you know, and I've definitely been guilty of this in the past as well with all the, as you would say, doctoral jargon and, you know, fancy words or whatever to describe something when you're teaching somebody, but it's like, it's the simple tricks like this, things you can do to actually make the changes. You know, the application is what's so important. An arsenal tricks, big, um, big bag of tricks with that, you know, again, people would be critical of the standard method, but Dennis would say, learn one way. Yeah. And the thing is, is that he would be criticized for teaching one way. And it was like just the opposite. You know, we, we get that as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, you teach everyone the same. No, we no. shoot some film. Teach fundamentals. <laughs> we teach, we teach, we shoot some film and say, okay, these are your problems. Um, this is what we have to address. Yeah. You know, again, someone takes the racket straight back instead of uh, making that. Um, well, I was just going to say, yeah. let me say this. You know, all the years I worked in the Big Braden Tennis College, and you get a new, a whole new group of players coming in every three days. And we'd videotape, you know, forehand, backhand, serve, volley, and you see the same mistakes. People make the same mistakes. Oh, That's yeah. the thing is, you know, <laughs> you see the same stuff no, it's over like, it's and, like over, and over, and over again. It's, it's not like someone comes in and you go, wow, that's, I've never seen that before. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, yeah, 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 you didn't get below the ball. You're coming across too fast. or Right. You know. It's like if you talk to an English teacher or math teacher, I've never seen that problem before. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, I mean, yeah, that's the thing is like there's so many common errors and mistakes. So there's a lot of the same fixes. So a player back in the day, it was straight back versus a loop. So someone would come, would come straight back and Dennis would say, okay, let me teach you the drop shot. And then you say, okay, just do that for disguise, add to your game instead of making a dissertation on how they were taught the wrong way. Yeah. Um, with, with juniors, um, remember Dennis telling me one time, Stephen, you know, I taught tennis so much better years ago, but Stephen, I think that, yeah. you know, he knew he was making an impact teaching tennis teachers and, you know, you know, certainly traveled all over the world with, there, there definitely is a problem with loyalty, you know, people bopping and shopping. You help a kid, you take him from point A to point B. And I mean, I've helped a, many, many hardship case kids be, you know, where they've been ended, up, ended up being ranked one in their age group, say in the 14s. I mean, I could name a half dozen. Yeah. And, um, well, <laughs> yeah, and then, they, they need yeah. to move on. Yeah. Um, Dennis would do how to perfectly or- orchestrate a powerful learning experience. One of my juniors one time is a blaster. So Dennis, he just organizes, gets everybody on the bleachers. And we're talking a couple hundred people. And so he creates his own center court amphitheater. And so now he has one of his assistants at the net post keeping score. Dennis feeds the ball. He puts the ball basket in front of him for safety. He feeds the ball. Drops the racket, puts his hand over the head, his head, feeds <laughs> yeah. the ball to the corner, right? yeah. and his assistant, you know, the kids on the other side, the assistant's going, love 15. <laughs> you know, so Dennis, Dennis wins, the first, you know, and he's feeding the ball to the corner. He's a tournament player. Yeah. And Dennis just goes, you could not beat a blind person without a racket. <laughs> you know, because people just, they just don't keep enough balls in play. Yeah. I remember one time, a simple concept, uh, we had this film that Dennis didn't have it. Boy, he was so excited to get it. It was a film on Borg's footwork. Mm. And uh, one of our students was teaching tennis in Europe. 
brought it to us. And I remember Dennis just saying, okay, and he ran, a, ran an entire clinic on that, just the split step. And then, just, okay, now we're going to do this off the split step, the forecourt, the middle of the court, all over the court. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we do know now that, you know, okay, sometimes when people split, it's just one foot. And, you know, if they're going, they're veering off on the letter V to the forehand volley, it's just the right foot yeah. facing that direction. Yeah, anticipating. Uh, cl- going fast. A classic story. I know this kid. Uh, kid was a problem. He goes to Dennis's summer camp. Kid was bad-mouthing our program. This is when we were Tyler, Texas. Mm. So Dennis, of course, was, one of our students was coaching for Dennis. So it was like a you know, 24-year-old playing a 17-year-old. So, um, you know, Dennis just had that sixth sense the kid was bad-mouthing our program. And Dennis was so much part of our program. I mean, he, I mean it, he's so much. Get, get the program off the ground. So yeah. he has our... He has, uh, this is his classic. Remember I was working with Andy Brandy one time. He did the same thing. Smith, you're going to play this guy. That's another story for another time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Smith, if you don't win 6060, you're fired. <laughs> so Andy's like 24. I'm like 22. So when I met meet some of Andy's former players, I go, hey, I was coached by Andy. I'll tell you a story. Mm-hmm. So um, back to Den- the lecture. Den- Dennis tells this uh, coach that we trained, beat yeah. this kid 0 and 0. Yeah. So. Then, then Dennis talks to him. It doesn't help out. Dennis calls the father. The kid picks up the phone, and it's and the kid he, the, he did beat him six oh six. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. The, then the Dennis eventually talks. He talks to the kid. Doesn't work, and he's, the kid's just a problem at the camp. And so Dennis calls up his father. And so you can just imagine Dennis. Hi, this is Dennis Fenneman. <laughs> and then he's just he just he asks. He said he asks the father. He goes, let me ask you a question. Are you a jerk? Of course, he used a little better word than jerk. Yeah. And he goes, well, I just think you'd be a jerk because your kid's a jerk. And then so he says, what do you think we can do to stop him from being a jerk? Then the guy's, you know, well, well, well. And he goes, well, you know, I think it's too big of a problem. You're going to have to pick him up at the airport. You'll be there in two hours. (laughs) You know, we've already sent him home. Yeah. Um, The uh, Over the years, again, people were to criticize Dennis and they would say, you know, he was all about the money. And I just think nonsense. I mean, with um, with his mind, drive, ingenuity, he could have made much more money in another business. I remember his brother telling me this. Um, I had a chance to spend time with his brother just because um, I was in the Savannah airport. And um, so I just knew it was Andrew's brother. I just go, you've got to be Dennis's older brother. Dennis so, did have a Ferrari, though, right? Uh, yeah, it's I mean, in my it's in my notes here. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he so, I mean, he didn't always follow the advice. He would tell coaches, "Don't have an expensive car." But that's because um, you know, in those days, it was Magnum PI, right? Even though Dennis didn't have the mustache, but the uh, Magnum PI was the, the red Ferrari. The Ferrari, you know. Dennis used to tell people. Um, I remember a guy by the name of Ed Foster telling me this years ago. He said, "If you have a really nice car, then you're." your members will think, yeah, you're doing really well and they won't take as many lessons <laughs> than you had, Dennis. So I run this program over, I have 100 students and we have nine students. They're going by the first name, Dave or David. This <laughs> is just how Dennis flew. So he gets everybody on the bleachers again. And he goes, all the Davids, if you come out and stand on the center service line. And then he does it twice. You know, he's a good comedian, pauses, drama, holds the punchline. What's your name, Dave? What's your name? David, what's your name? Dave. Yeah. He goes through, he goes, let's do it one more time. And then he goes, 
I just want to tell you that you have boring parents. Sit down. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. yeah. Here's another story. Uh, yeah. Dennis and his clinics. So I worked with a girl by the name of Laura Hanna. She, you know, she was a very good tennis player. She ended up playing at Texas A&M. Spent several years coaching her when she was in juniors to then in college. So she's in town and Vandermeer's coming out and, and I go, Laura, come here. He's going to pick you up. He's going to watch everybody hit balls and there's going to be a point where he has everybody, the stage is set, everybody's watching and he's going to bring you out on the court. Mm-hmm. And Dennis could, you know, hold on to like, I don't know, 20 tennis balls in one hand, whatever, just impressive. <laughs> and but so he was a master of all these trick shots where he'd serve underhand. So I remember saying, Lord, Side spin. He, yeah, it's a, yeah. He, he's going to call you up. When he, he calls you up, he's going to say, we'll play a little game. And he's going to say, I win, I win. So <laughs> the uh, I said, when he does that, you go right up to the service line. You move in as close as possible. And if his racket's going right, you're going left. Yeah. If his racket's going left, you're going right. So I'd coached her beforehand. <laughs> so... I mean, he used to just bring really good players out. He'd be, he'd be uh, we'll just play, I mean, we'll just play to four. Yeah. He'd, he'd turn to the audience, I beat her. <laughs> beat her, held my serve at love. Yeah. And <laughs> so anyway, she gets the returns back. And then, you know, Dennis just looks at me and he just, goes, Stephen, you SOB, <laughs> you SOB, you told her my secret. Uh, this is something else, the alpha dog, this has helped me out so much. Just we're keeping the lyrics uh, clean yeah, yeah, on this yeah. podcast, just so you know, listeners. I mean, maybe someday down the road we'll, uh, I don't know, have a little more flavor, but yeah, we not can, for now. I mean, we've, I, know, I know a few people that can't say one sentence without the F word. It's in every sentence. Yeah. We need, there's a couple of those people we need to interview. Um, the alpha be, dog, yeah. you're in a clinic setting, camp. Dennis could just pick out the alpha dog and, um, you know, the, the, the person who's going to control the juniors, the bully, you know, they're cocky. Yeah. You just, you got to break that person down one way or the other, build, build, um, build them as a team player. One of the best ways to do that is say, okay, you're the best player. Let's have a skills test. You know, you basically, you can't hit the broad side of a barn. Yeah. You know, shut up and put up. You know, he's the best player. You, that's not how you do the UTR now. Okay, raise your hand. Who's got the highest UTR? Yeah. And you bring out someone who's a 10.5 and say, okay, we do the tiebreaker test. And you, if you feed like Lansdorp or Hopman, it's like 0707. Okay, yeah. I think you're in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're in the right place. Still a little um, to work on. Create a culture where everyone can practice with everyone. That's, again, that's a sidebar to the alpha dog. What Dennis used to say about Tom Stowe and the Berkeley Tennis Club, yeah. that was a tennis club that, you know, created the paperwork for him to be able to come to the U.S., uh, where the members would practice with each other. I think it's wrong, wrong, wrong. I understand there's always two sides to the story, a plus and a minus, but, um, you know, if you go to, a, a like, say, a, a controlled public park, a manned public park, it's got someone at the front desk, or not just mm-hmm. um, unmanned courts, um, or a tennis club and say, well, no, you can only have three balls on the court. I mean, I really think, come on, your, your kid is taking lessons. I mean, you're taking lessons to two, two adult beginners. You should yeah. be able to get a ball hopper and go out and toss balls to each other. Should That comes back to what Lair wrote about um, Dennis's missionary zeal for practice. Yeah. Um, so that's where I think all tennis players should own their own baskets. You know, I think that every college tennis player, when they show up, they should have a ball hopper in the room. Mm. And when I say things like that, you know, it comes back to, you know, having been around someone like Dennis Vandermeer. 
it doesn't even it can be a laundry basket. It can be a, you know, they have these shoulder bags now. Yeah. Um, with, um, yeah. So again, coming back to his brother, the older version of Dennis instantly knew as his brother. Um, you know, he, the brother spoke so highly of Dennis, just talked about his drive and his energy level. I think it's always great to, you know, you know, meet a sibling and say, okay, tell me about Dennis in the beginning. Uh, here's another quick story. Mike Carter mentioned him earlier, you know, he was with us for five years, two as a student, three as a student assistant or staff. He really wanted to work for the Texas Tennis Association, which he has now. He's been there, I think, 25 plus years. But I remember uh, first interview, he was in the final three, didn't get hired. Second time, didn't get hired. So, you know, one time I said, okay, we'll send you here. And it was, well, the first time, I can't remember, it was Vandermeer first and Braden, but it's like, well, he didn't get the job. And I said, I'll tell you what, we'll set it up where you go work for Vandermeer. And the second time, set you up where you work for Braden or vice versa. Over a summer, right? Something like that. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, the German situation, I think that was a little bit longer. But, the uh, Germans. So um, I called Dennis up and Dennis is all set for the summer. But I said, no, you you got to you got to do me this favor and you got to hire this, this, this young guy, Carter, which he'd already met. Carter had already been certified because Dennis had all, made all his trips out to Tyler, Texas. Yeah. So Carter, anybody knows Carter, I think we should have a podcast just where I tell Carter's stories. He was a pretty ugly gentleman. The uh, good looking, fun loving Carter. The uh, thinking of Doug Tomlin, he told me something about it, say to Carter about because he's a drummer. Well, I think it's, I think it goes like this. Drummers like to hang around musicians. <laughs> which means they're not musicians i think i have it right unfortunately drummers always end up something tragic happens to to drummers and bands quite often got to watch spinal tap out there listeners so i used to always interview the punchline i get ahead of myself but i used to introduce this is mike carter he used to have one of the most important jobs in tennis he used to walk dennis vandermeer's dog <laughs> so carter loves dogs he's he meets vandermeer's dog vandermeer tells me a story and you know carter sees a dog next thing you know he's wrestling with the dog i think it was Haika. so carter's wrestling <laughs> wrestling with vandermeer's dog and next thing you know is dennis goes mike my dog likes you you're gonna walk him twice a day yeah exactly <laughs> for free <laughs> no no he was on salary he was on salary so right. with uh but, you know, it didn't matter. Dennis's group dynamics, you know, he could run it by himself. He really, a lot of ways, he, re, he really, he could pull it off with the pros. Yeah. That's something else I um, worked, you know, from working with Dennis Vandermeer. I remember one year, Matt Clore was, he just, he, he was at Florida State, then he was a coach, then he was at NC State, and he was working in this beautiful place, Cary Park. Yeah. And the coaches place. weren't, the coaches weren't listening to him like they should have. So I show up and, you know, we have it all organized with group dynamics, Dennis Vandermeer style. And I have all the coaches in the corner and, you know, they're they really, some of them, they didn't want to be paid there because, you know, in a situation like that, I come in, I'm running a, a workshop and they're being paid a promotional rate instead of their private rate. They're making less money per hour. Right. Or he comes in and, you know, he definitely knows a better way and he's showing them some things and they weren't listening. I mean, you know, the guy can flat out play, can flat out teach. And mm -hmm. so um, fighting leaders every day. And I said, you know, this clinic is working without you. And I said, if it goes the way we'd like it to, and you don't pay attention, these students will know more than you. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that, that just comes from, you know, 
being around Dennis Vandermeer. Right. And I, I think it's a matter of um, not, uh, okay, I, I observed Dennis Vandermeer, I studied Dennis Vandermeer, but people have to keep in mind, we practiced Dennis Vandermeer. You know, we had a 15 hour lab yeah. and it was over the course of a, de- a decade, basically. Yeah, yeah, you put it into practice. Um, so if you see Mike Carter, say Heike, Go go watch go watch uh, go uh, walk my dog. Yeah. Targets. This is a great Vandermeer. So again, so clever. You get one feeder, one hitter, and one spotter. And the spotter just hangs on to ten tennis balls. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be five, but you, you feed. You know, hit a cross court forehand at this cone, and the spotter just puts down. Yeah. You know, it should be like a, in a candy bar, a cluster of peanuts, and they should all be pretty close to the Here's cone. Here's where it landed. And it's awful. Yeah. It's awful. So, you know, again, that's where you do have to be persuasive. Like, okay, I'm going to listen to this guy. All yeah. right, I'm going to listen to this gal. Yeah. Um, you know, people don't even come close. They don't even come close to the target. In tennis, <coughs> bless you, Zuntaik, the ball has to be in. Um, it happens. Dennis used to always hit balls. He could put a ball on a dime. Um, so he, not, not that often, but again, he said, okay, let me show you how to do it. Feed me the ball. And then it's just so close. Yeah. But that's, that's where Dennis would go through. He'd make the list of here, are the five things you're trying to ch- achieve when you're hitting a tennis ball. And, and um, power would be the last one. Yeah, right. You know, placement, precision, yeah. spin. Yeah. Yep. On backboards, Dennis loved backboards. He had one at his house. It's such a great way to hit balls. So Dennis was a showman. The showman has to show, and Dennis could definitely show how to hit tennis balls. Yeah. Um, lunchtime hits, he'd have his Granny Smith apple. He'd hit for an hour. Um, hit with him numerous times. He was, as he got older, the rules would change. But, you know, you, you, know, you have to hit in this area. I remember hitting with him on clay and you're okay, you hit in this area going back and forth. And, um, you know, as he got older, if, I mean, if he didn't have to move, I mean, and that's like, you know, I think of Tony Roach, uh, guys like that, hmm. you know, elder statesman, he's, you know, you get to stand in the corner and just, and, yeah. and hit with fed, you know, he just, it's just the movement's not there. Yeah. Vandermeer on toughness. One time I took him to the doctor, he had a bone spur in his foot. He gets a cortisone Ooh. shot. Um, he's hobbling, he's hobbling and limping when we're walking from the car to the doctor's office, but no one would have known he's on court all day. No one would have known that the yeah. guy was in pain. Yeah. So the doctor tells him Some stay toughness. off. Yeah. Doctor tells him stay off his foot. We get in the car and Dennis is very polite to the doctor. We get in the car and he says, uh, Steven, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be leaving on uh, Monday morning. Uh, please take these crutches back. <laughs> so the next day, I mean, he, you know, you just know the guy's in pain, yeah, and not just, just, just tough. And that I think that's one thing. You know, kids are still kids, but the times have changed, and the, the pain tolerance. Um, you know, we're not producing. You know, you know people, tennis players like we used to. Well, what uh, are some of the ways that you think? What are some simple ways, like things to do with young players to help them with that? Oh, I mean, we have a podcast on that. Make them pack their own lunch. Make them get part-time jobs. Um, Are you listening, parents? With, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's amazing to me. Yeah, they have their homework. You know, if, 
it's very costly for a tournament player to uh, string rackets. And, you know, the next thing you know is that they bought a stringer, but the kid doesn't string rackets. The the father yeah. stays up or the mother stays up and strings rackets. Um, I think just, just know, common sense. Yeah, we go back to say, you know, our goal is to try to make them be their own coach, to be an independent thinker. So any way that you can help your player, your son, your daughter, be an independent thinker. Yeah. Um, Do some things. Families are smaller. Families are smaller. And it's just simple math. People get too much attention. Mm. Um, Mm. With anything and everything for Dennis was a teaching aid, you know, like a a paper cup. He would have people hang into a paper cup, turn it like this. Yeah. And it's just amazing. He would pick out the person who's the newest player and they would come up and just hand precision. They could, you know, they just make the ball go right in the cup. We'll make a video of that. With um, Dennis was not a big fan of private lessons. He could teach so fast. As I'm um, repeating that from last week, it got off yeah. off the notes. Is that you know, babies teach for five minutes, and then you know, for the next fifty five minutes. Many times, people have to realize the cash register is what runs the private lesson. People aren't going to drive to the tennis facility for a five minute lesson. Yeah. I'd rather give a kid five, uh, 12 minute lessons. But this is something because of Vandermeer's skill level, not only how he could teach tennis, but how he could teach other people to teach tennis. You know, that would not happen with with Dennis Vandermeer training. That what you hear, it's, a, it's very common in the industry. Well, if you want instruction, you have to take privates. You know, in the clinics, they drill and they play. But if you really want some attention on, the son, on your son's forehand, daughter's backhand, whatever. Yeah. Um, the um, match simulated drills. Um, I did this for a long time. Dennis had a program. His longtime assistant Louis Cap, nuclear physicist Jack. Um, I did this at one point, and I've recommended <clears throat> it to, to uh, many uh, people I've trained. So. So it's uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, I do match simulated drills. Mm-hmm. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, come out and we'll do the boring, we'll do the boring stuff. Fundamental work. We'll slow down and, you know, Dennis wrote donkey work, mm-hmm. do the hard yards. And um, so I did that for several years at one place and the um, hands down, the people that came to work on technique, they became much better players. Right. But, you know, a lot of times people just don't want to work on strokes. But so I think that Dennis definitely, he was one who combined, you know, because, I mean, he ran a big operation, all-encompassing program, ran service programs. Right. Like, that's more match-simulated drills. Yeah, you can teach and teach tactics and yeah. teach so many of the insights. But the education base, okay, we're going to slow you down and, and hit balls. Dennis yeah. used to call kids sometimes little buggers. You know, yeah, the little, little buggers just want to have fun. Yeah. But coming back to old school, coming <clears> back to, I think, sitting at that, myself at that table in prep school, like, whoa, this is pretty slow, having a conversation with a professor and their spouse. And mm. um, with... Um, yeah, so it's, it's a real challenge, especially these days when everything's, you know, you have it at your fingertips. The answer is right there. There's no more, hey, okay, let me go to the library and look it up in Encyclopedia Britannica. You just punch a few things with your thumb and you have it. You know, so that's I, the mentality as far as just, okay, you want some popcorn, you get it in one minute. You want your forehand, you get it in one minute. 
you know, I communicated a little bit with Mark Spann, somebody who trained to teach tennis a long time ago. He co-owner of a club in the Philadelphia area, and his yeah. mother won a Wimbledon doubles title, and mm-hmm. we talked about him. You know, just now we, I asked him about a podcast. It's you know ten things he learned from his mother, and you know one he said uh, she's South African. Uh, later never comes. Yeah, later never comes. So it's you know slow it down, do it right in the beginning. John Wooden, when when you gonna have time to do it again? Yeah. Uh, Sweetbriar, beautiful college in Virginia. It's just up the road from. Dennis's uh, headquarters in South Carolina. He met with his college officials. He negotiated building six more courts. Smart guy. So, mm-hmm. okay, I'll mortgage those courts and then I'll come here and I'll run a camp. Yeah. Used to fly into Lynchburg. And again, beautiful setting. So, I'm, I'm not sure I'd be the wrong person to say these are what the details were, but it was like, okay, here's a 30 year lease. So, come in, I'll build the tennis courts. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had dorms, he had a cafeteria, he had other amenities. Um, so besides Hilton Head, he had a successful boarding camp. He, and that uh, was mainly for junior players, correct? No, no. Um, adults coming in and boarding as well? Yeah, it's uh, mostly juniors for sure, mostly juniors. Um, I would say I'd have to double, to stop and think, but it um, – Jim Verdick every summer, Jim Lair. What, I mean, I mean, I remember going there and really, really enjoying it. Um, so I would go for Jim Verdick's team coaching or mm-hmm. Jim Lair's mental toughness. Mm-hmm. So there would be adults there. Um, I remember uh, I, one time I took uh, Dan Tony, Tyler, Texas, physician, big friend of the program, just loved tennis. Um, so he went. Dan Tony? Dan Tony. He goes. Two first so, names. So, yeah, so Dan Tony goes, those, his wife Linda wants to go. And I said, well, yeah, she's more than welcome to come. But just, just let her know when you check in, they give you a pillow, <laughs> yeah. some sheets, and you're, staying in a, and you're staying in a room that doesn't have air conditioning in the summertime. <laughs> With, uh, so it wasn't, wasn't like going to Hilton Head. So, yeah, I don't think that many adults went there. Yeah, that'll help with toughness as well. Uh, working towards the end of this, Tom Jilly, um of all our students, Tom definitely worked for Dennis the longest. His wife, Julie, um, yeah. she's a chief administrator. I'm not sure if she's like the assistant CEO. I mean, uh, she's, you know, maybe the glue. She has so much to do in helping Dan Santorum every day. Julie Jilly. Yeah, so Tom, I mean, his students studying Chinese history and also at the University of Chicago, which is like one of the toughest schools to get in the country. Mm-hmm. So he decides that he wants to study tennis. So he shifts... Jilly, the speed reader. He'd borrow four or five books, read them over the weekend. Not your typical uh, student in the tennis tech program when it came to reading comprehension, <laughs> um, myself included. Um, he'd be someone to interview over over Dennis. Um, and I think that's where just go deeper and say, okay, I mean, to me, there should, there with like a Wellview Van Horn, Vic Braden, Dennis Van Horn, Bill Jackson, go on, Verdict. Yeah. It's like, let's have clinics and this is how they did it. Yeah. And instead of like, you know, everybody trying to reinvent the wheel, mm-hmm. it makes no sense for everybody to put in their two cents. Um, you know, that doesn't happen in other sports. I mean, yeah, people are looking for new twists and turns, but, you know, football coaches, you know, I mean, they used to take over an hour for people to explain the, what was it called? The Green Bay sweep or the power sweep, the Lombardi sweep. Um, 
You haven't heard of the next gen tackles yet? <laughs> I guess you're not really up on your NFL right now. That's all right. I'll show you. Well, there is a lot to be said about tackling because uh, now they're trying to do it where they can bring more safety to the game. A few years ago, it was modern, but now it's actually next gen tackling. Next gen, okay. Yeah. Information. I'll, sh- I'll show you. I'll show you. Information, ideas, and insights just gathered. So um, I think Tom Gilly, one of his classmates, that We'll mention that often because it needs to be mentioned. Dave Anderson, Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. So one of the best stories I've ever heard Tom told me, I think everyone should know this about Dennis. Um, you know, I think Dennis definitely, he has critics because people are just, I think, envious, jealous. He accomplished so much. Sure. And you know, I think a lot of people that were critical, as I said last week's podcast, have you ever watched him work? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there's no perfection, but come on, this guy is just you know, take, you know, it's like get out your notebook and start writing some things down. So we touched yeah. upon not having an expensive car. So uh, this is really an ins- <laughs> insignificant part of the story. So Jilly, Jilly finally gets to drive the red Ferrari. Um, but what happened was Dennis's wife, Pat, she has a stroke and her life is in jeopardy. And she has, to, you know, she's in a hospital in Savannah. So Dennis, he, he goes in the red Ferrari, but he calls up Jilly and says, Tom, bring the bring a van, fill it up with ball hoppers and targets, and so because Dennis left work to spend all, all this time with uh, Pat at the hospital, mm. and you know, fortunately, you know, she got through it, but it was uh, nip and tuck, and so outside of uh, you know Pat's hospital room, there's two tennis courts. You know, again, we should have Jilly tell the story. I'm sure you tell it a lot better and be spot on, but. Um, so this is one of my students telling the story. So there's, you know, there's times where Dennis can't be with Pat because there's no visitors allowed mm. certain times. So what Dennis does, and nobody knows about it, he starts teaching tennis on those courts and he packs those courts. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously one that, um, you know, it's just good for the kids out there, whoever the, the adults coming out to hit some tennis balls, but to the point where you know, Den- eventually Pat's going to be able to sit up and look out the window and watch Dennis teaching tennis. Yeah. Amazing. I've heard Jim, Jim Lair say that, 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 um, experience with Pat, you know, Dennis, um, was just an A plus plus guy, but that just took it to another higher, higher level. Yeah. Um, with, um, yeah, my notes here. That's a pretty moving story. Um, I remember um, with, uh, you know, certainly being therapeutic for Dennis, but, um, and he was there and definitely canceled, you know, his schedule and um, with, um, but I think he he just thought that, Dennis, that Pat would find strength knowing that Dennis was right outside the window teaching tennis. Yeah. Um, so again, the experience, it, it changed Dennis for the better, took a little bit of the edge off. And I think that if people are trying to teach tennis, I think there's a lot of uh, a go along to get along. People edify each other too much in the tennis industry. You're great, I'm great. But if you're fighting battles for tennis truth, you know, there's definitely an edge to that. Yeah. And I, th- um, I think of Don Meyer, the basketball coach. Our listeners should look up Don Meyer. <clears throat> we have so much information on Don Meyer in our library. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in a horrific car accident, almost lost his life from the car accident. But then when he's in the hospital, 
they find out he has cancer right. and he came back and you know he, he passed away but he came back long enough where he was back coaching college tennis in a wheelchair mm. um you know dennis um i know when my father died we had just got done with his intense week of training and testing coaches i tell this story often dennis such a class act he calls me up and first you know he expresses his condolences and then he said stephen everybody dies Get back to work and keep working for your father's name. Yeah. No, that's a very moving story for me. It's that, um, you know, I think people grieve differently, but yes, you know, it's, uh, it, no one gets out of life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is how it ends. So no try to, try to make it out alive. <laughs> try to, try to make the most of it. So, but I think that, you know, Dennis understood tough love. Um, you got to keep in mind, um, I've had many people who from Africa say, hey, this is life in Africa, you know, and his parents being missionaries. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that he was being insensitive, but it's just, that's just life. Um, yeah. But I, I think that one of the reasons that he also moved away from juniors, and maybe I should do the same thing. I'm a little bit of a dinosaur. Your health? Is... <laughs> I always tease that tease people. I used, you know, I use a big brain line. I used to be bad for my health. I I used to be six three and thin and six three and full head of hair. And <laughs> yeah. then I started coaching juniors. Seriously, I had people tell me at one point they thought I could. Uh, you would couldn't do it. Could, that I could be a comedian. Then I started teaching junior tennis. No sense of humor after that. But you know, to keep a lid on the toughness, and I think now with society. Um, it's very difficult to coach. I mean, I used to say, well, what percentage am I the coach? And, you know, I think, you know, again, parents mean the, the, their intentions are all, all good, but are they really letting the coach coach? Mm. And um, here's something about Braden and Vandermeer. They weren't really all that close. Um, you know, when there was um, times where they would be meeting, they'd see each other at a conference and such. But, you know, one lives, you know, most of Dennis's career was on the East Coast and Vix is on the West Coast. But, um with I mean, one of my brothers passed away, and I remember Vic would you know call me several times, and um, that, that was just Vic. With, but Vic called Dennis when he found out Pat, and I, I'm pretty sure I'm the one who told him the story. I told him the Tom Julie story about Dennis's Dennis's wife. Yeah, and but you know, and, and Dennis opened up to Vic and said, you know, he never knew that he knew that he needed someone so much with with Pat. Mm -hmm. um, so humility, um, again, I think that story, I just, you just think of Dennis Vandermeer, he's got all this going on and, and he's teaches tennis outside this hospital in Savannah. Yeah. And there's, because he was, you just, people would be critical that he was over promoting, overselling, but he was fighting for tennis, you know, again, fighting ignorance is that, you know, make, make tennis better, um, with, um, yeah, let's wind down here. Um, the, you know, fighting battles in the tennis world. Um, you know, we could just go through myths. We could just go through myths. There's so many. Are there? Are there? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's like. There's a few. Um, with, um, let's do this. Uh, fun exercise would be make a list. It's very similar to the paper clip. You, right. You give everybody a paper clip, you give a piece of paper to pen and say, okay, boom, you got three minutes. Write yeah. down 
and you know the kid who's got the highest GPA or the highest SAT score, they're, they're not going to win that contest generally. <laughs> yeah. that, who's creative? Creative, yeah. You know, I mean, so you make a list of how many ways you could use it. Any, how many yeah, I mean, ways. Um, you know, we'll throw out these mind vitamins. You know, if you smooze, you lose. But you know, you got to have some people skills. You got to have some fun. If you you can't smooze a little bit, you're going to just get stuck. I tell that to some parents. I said, one reason tennis will be very good for your child is you don't want to end have them end up in the back room in a cubicle. Yeah, you know, they need to be able to shake hands and say good morning. And I always joke around we, with a lot of the kids here. They, you know, they're accomplished in school and taking all these AP classes or whatever, but I always joke around saying, you know, that they're dumb, smart kids because the common sense isn't always there. Yeah. So, you know, you can't have street smarts if you're never in the streets. Exactly. You know, if you have a full-time chauffeur yeah. and again, that's where kids are underprepared. They're overprotected. I understand why they're overprotected. It wasn't, you know, like when I grew up, um, you know, you get out of school, you make your own fun and, you know, my, my mom, the mom next door, they ring a bell and you, okay, you knew it was time to come in. Kids today, they don't really even play outside. Tennis in that sense is just overstructured. You know, can you just go play? Yeah. Could you guys get together with a ball hopper and make make it a productive hour? Well, so, I think it, it has changed a lot. I remember my sister telling me, and she lives in this really nice area in Orange County, that there was a couple of kids playing in the park. You know, and they were probably 12 or something. And it was kind of like... Where are your parents? But I think someone actually called, I don't know if it was the police or they called somebody like, hey, there's these two kids playing alone in the park. Um, so, yeah, times have definitely changed, you know, when you have, if you're, if you're playing on your, on your own by yourself or whatever, and someone's calling the police to see where your mom and dad are. So back to the paper clip is with Dennis Vandermeer, you know, okay, what can you do with the ball hopper? very quickly yeah uh, all these different things so ball hopper someone has a one-handed backhand they have a two-handed backhand you're teaching a one-handed slice yeah. is with the, if they're righty hang on to the hopper with their left hand yeah fill it halfway up with balls so they're not they're opening way up so then they're not swinging the ball hopper they're keeping the ball hopper down and it just helps the body stay sideways <laughs> how would that drill work today i mean how are you going to open up and pull across that ball <laughs> yeah now you're supposed to open up <laughs> you just can't do it <laughs> well that's where that the thing is that with so much film you know like roger Federer will hit just like when people mistake the uh recovery as a follow-through on the forehand it's the same yeah. thing with someone's coming <clears throat> in and they're hitting an underspin backhand if they yeah. if they were to catch it at the hit now the racket tracks out and i know you're doing so much of that on instagram showing these short clips well but then also with that since we're on that shot we've talked about this before but if they're warming up a loose warm up and they're hitting right at each other as well. The ball comes in close, you know, and they hit a they hit a slice. They do hit a side side spin shot. You know, it's in close. It's not like it's match play where they're it's out away from them and they're going to the net or you know what I mean. Yeah. So there is a lot of that too. Same with a volley where well the person's hitting right at them. Yeah. So they're going to hit seventy percent backhand volleys. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Now people will watch us hit and have kids, you know, teach and we're having kids hit and hold their balance. And, yeah. um, you know, one of our critics goes, that doesn't look like pro tennis. Well, the thing is, is we're teaching a fundamental, but then when they play, so they hit the one hand and back hand and then instantly they're moving to the net. Yeah. So now they're turning, they're propelling themselves yeah, with their recovery. elbows. 
So now as they, as they turn to run, it looks like they have this follow-through that goes down across their body. And it's all about the moment of truth. So how are you going to get it so that the, at the moment of truth, the tennis racket is within those 20 degrees if you're on the baseline. Yeah. And if you're trying to pull across the ball, on the forehand side too, if you try to windshield wipe across, if, no, I mean, if you're again, trying to force I, those I mean, moves, like, good luck. You know, there's so many people that are recruiters, especially now even in junior tennis, you know, the third base coach, the guy handing out the business card yeah. at the tournament. But you know, the umpire is going to say ready play and say, hey, come on around, you know, come on back in three months. We'll show you how this kid's hitting the ball. Yeah. You know, you don't judge the unfinished product. Yeah. Coming back to the list, so you get a cup of water. You know, Dennis would have someone hold a cup of water and hit a forehand so this left arm's not flying. Right. You know, can you hit your forehand and hang on to that cup of water with your left hand? Yeah. A uh, key clip, you know, someone's hitting on the same side of the racket, and Dennis would just put the key clip, and they just show you that okay, the racket's always on the same side. Yeah, the, the, the key, it, it should change. Yeah, um, you know, sure. using a pen, you know, there's a taggy, right? <laughs> you, you hand someone a pen, and uh, going back to Barisataggi, Alvaro Bentacor. Barisataggi trained at Saddlebrook, and I remember I heard Alvaro said. Well, when a guy like that, you know, he's on top, it's just licensed, you know, people yeah. can hit the ball any way they want. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I, I'm just going to have my own style. I'm just going to do my own thing. Yeah. Doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. You no, know, that would be a criticism of, you know, what we do is that it doesn't allow for that unorthodox shot. You know, yeah. you're going to meet a young Barris Tag. player. Yeah, meet a young guy like that. He's nine years old. And go, ah, I think we should fix that. So you play little doubles <laughs> and maybe play on, that's back in the day when there was yeah. bad grass and not just be a, you know, a clay court specialty. And also, too, yeah. years ago, a hardcore was, you know, it was the grass and the carpet that was really fast. You know, now the surfaces play pretty much the same. Mm. But just to hand someone a pen, mm. a pencil, um, a straw, and say, okay, how can yeah. you how, how can you use this? And, you know, first of all, just with, uh, you know, using it with, say, a grip. <clears throat> um, you know, I mentioned the net, you know, putting your racket going across the net like this so you don't chop down on the net. Unfortunately, um, the first thing that comes to my mind now when I think of a pencil is John Wick. That guy could take people out with a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great, great movie. John Wick. The hat. You know, Dennis would have a kid just, you know, these kids just shift their head all day long. Yeah. Flyaway ball. Lenny Schloss, who is Billy Jinking, I coach. Yeah. Billy, uh, Lenny's got great enthusiasm for the game and yeah. does so many things well. And people are just, they sneak a peek. The brain's ahead of the hand by a fifth of a second. And Dennis was, you know, they just let me see you hit a serve, put your baseball cap on backwards, the old mushroom cap. Yeah, we put a video on that the other day. Oh, okay. Everybody liked it. Um, you, how many different ways can you use the fence? Um, you know, teaching the power line, you know, using the, you know, the ways to. Um, yeah, tracking motion. Shape the swing. Short backswings for volleys, you know, forehands, backhands. Just putting the kid with their. Um, Matt Clure did a podcast for us, an interview. He says, dad put him right up against the fence and feed balls at him. So there's, there's, you're not backing up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know, some people, they'd yeah. rather, if the ball's coming out really fast, they'd rather be on the other side of the fence. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dennis used to take a string. He would tie it to the racket. Mm -hmm. And then if someone had a big backswing, they would be yeah. pulling the net. Yeah. Also um, just to keep them from backing up when they're at the net, just to keep them up yeah. there. Same thing as like on the baseline. You know, you just take a penny or a dime and... You know, to you could tape it on the racket, but just put the dime on a certain bevel. And, you yeah. know, if someone's trying to go from a forehand grip on the serve to a continental grip. Under the knuckle or heel pad. But again, it'd just be an exercise with creativity. 
that's the type of thing we did with this lab. Okay, you know, let's make a list of 25 ways to change someone from yeah. palm up to palm down. And that just creates more creativity too when you're in a group session like that. You know, the group the group dynamics, uh, Dennis, um, you know, Vic used to have people jog with little kid classes and he would he'd teach the, this is the baseline. There's two of them, let's run to the other baseline. This mm-hmm. is the, and then yell yeah. it out. Yeah. So then they take the roll of dummy. What's this? This is a single sideline. Yeah, help them. But Dennis, you know, having kids pretend they're snow skiing or they're a human pogo stick and all the different things you can do on the lines on the court. Yeah. You know, just up, jump over one line or can you go four and a half feet in the alley? Yeah. Um, with, um, in his book, uh, The Complete Book of Tennis, uh, Yaroslav Hoba, I don't know, I'm even close to pronouncing the name of Czech. Sounded perfect. With, um, <laughs> I... I know you can find this on on internet. Um, it's a photo. So Yaroslav is in South Africa, and and um, you know in the book Dennis says he, these are uh, influential people in my life, and he mm-hmm. mentions uh, Verdick, he mentions Larry, he mentions Stanley Plaganoff, he mentions Howard Brody, and mm-hmm. but um, Yaroslav Hoba was mentioned. So there's a photo. I'd, I'd like to find it, put it up on Facebook. It was 1955, it's a school setting. And so you just think, okay, Dennis Vandermeer. Um, but there, he was doing a demo, he's teaching tennis. So he's in his 20s. Um, but that, that's a great photo. Um, mm-hmm. With, uh, I'd say with Dennis, if I had to say one thing, the work is done on the court. Mm. There's work is done on the court with- um, Carpenter. Yeah, I mean, you know, you need architects need a plan, but you need somebody who's going to sweep up the sawdust and you need somebody who's going to pound the nails. And yeah. and that expression, don't get your hands dirty, you know, put on the sunscreen, get the hat and go to work. Um, yeah. the International Hall of Fame, I think we could end on that. Um, we, I mean, we could come back and I want to, as I said, solidify more about Dennis Vandermeer, just more about Welby Van Horn. Uh, certainly we could do that through short video videos. Yeah, we've done some um, I think it's bittersweet, Dennis. I mean, he should have been inducted in the Hall of Fame, same as Vic Braden yeah, uh, when, when he was alive. Yeah. So deserving, touched so many lives, really millions, because he taught teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the biblical um, Ripple effect. point of view is that, you know, give a person a fish or teach him to fish. Yeah. I, I would guess that Dan Santorum would be speaking on Dennis's behalf. Because It'd be of, cool to get up there, I wonder. Because the, the, the PTR... I know you were up there for uh, Vic. I was running a fundraiser yeah. and couldn't go during that when Braden was inducted. But um, I think Dan, I think Dan has been the CEO since 1980, so that's you know 40, 41 years he's yeah, been there. Time. And I do think that the um, the, the PTR family um, is uh, certainly you know the legacy, the legend of Dennis Vandermeer doing great things. But I just think. Um, you know, people that look at what we do, and I know some of our critics will say, well, you need to blend in other methods. The great base is just that. It's a blend of other methods. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we don't really, you know, go through, you know, okay, um, here's the success rate. This is what happens to players' tennis games. Um, but well, yeah, the, so the, proof's, the proof's in the pudding. So, but But so much of what we do... Thank you to Dennis Vandermeer. Yeah. Also, I mean, you, 
you can lead the horse to the water, but you can't make him drink. So, you know, they learn, but then you have to apply it. You have to practice. You have to do it. Yeah, I, I think with tennis, though, why is there so much confusion? You know, a basketball player is going to agree, this is the stance on the follow shot. My shoulders are going to be square. My elbow, my palm, we're going to breathe out, we're going to extend up, out, yeah. whatever, coming out, of the, coming out of the starting blocks, things that we say all the time. Yeah. But in tennis, you can just make it up. And, and, and what happens is that people are competing against one another. <clears throat> you know, that, and I think it's great to have new ideas. I like to think that, you know, 5% of what we do is original. We do, we do have some of our own ideas, but at the same time, um, way too much self-promotion. And, you know, I think that the historical side, one, you need to understand the history, the history of tennis, the history of tennis teaching. Um, but again, um, you know, I, I mean, we have our ghost followers. You know, there's lots of, there's so many people that I've trained to teach tennis. They don't tell people that I've trained them. They'll tell them that, you know, even though Vic Braden didn't train them or Dennis Vandermeer, you know, um, but it's just, it's just really teaching information transfer. You know, the art is okay. The, the humanistic side, the relationship, but you know, does it make sense? Yeah. Does it make sense? I think we, we talk about it often with Vic that you and I were fortunate enough to live the book. A lot of people, you know, you can learn from Dennis's book, but you know, fortunate that you were able to live the book with Dennis and I'm sure he's smiling down, you know, you're keeping, keeping a lot of the things going as I'm sure others are as well. But well, I think one thing, uh, yeah, you know, what's to say, oh, they're all on the same page. No, they're not even, they're not even from the same book on the same page. Maybe, oh, no, they're from the same sentence. Everyone's working together. And that's not true. The continuity from one court to the next, even at one facility. But I think it's also a matter of working the book and not go, well, you know. And then people, they think they can add their own secret sauce to it because they really haven't done the work. To really study someone. Um, you know, and I think that's where we'll, we'll say Jim Lehrer, we're going back and, you know, he's written so many books and he's done so many things since the eighties, but this is how as a clinician, mm -hmm. you know, you have, you know, someone and you're really both, you're, you know, are you a, an academic psychologist or a clinical psychologist? In the end you have to, it's just like lecture lab. Yeah. Um, you have education experience but i think so many people they don't have really education that comes back to that article we have on the website where the consumer do they have consumer knowledge yeah um we know they're highly intelligent unless they inherit it as vic used to say that social economic functioning skills so people can afford a lesson then vic would say well most pros can they afford their own lesson yeah. and then um you know it just goes do they do they then does the coach have product knowledge and a lot of times the, the tennis teacher, do they have product knowledge? The answer is really no. Can they really produce? Mm. I'd say, and we've said it before in these podcasts, many people are running away. They're, they're hiding from teaching beginners. And it hurts our game so, so badly. Dennis yeah. Vandermeer could teach, you know, I mean, big, big numbers, you know, here they come. I'm going to teach, you know, I mean, imagine going to elementary school and say, yeah, come on out. We'll teach you all how to play tennis very quickly. Yeah. And then you, but you have that skill set to do it. But you, right. so it's a combination of education experience. But I think many people are sidestepping, um, bringing new people into the game, and, and you know, like, let's do a better job with beginners. Um, you know, 
I don't want to digress too much. I don't know enough about it, but the, the UTR, I think there's so many positives, but uh, that's another conversation. But this paid hits, yeah. I thought that was a mafia term, paid hit. I'm sure is, it that, is. Is, is it really going to be a mom or a dad calling some 15-year-old kid who's a 10.5 and seeing if their kid who's a 7.5, they can hit and they're going to exchange fees? Yeah. I mean, I thought the whole thing about the UTR, and again, I don't know enough about it, was to make tennis less expensive. Yeah, I don't either. But I, I think, you know, we, we've got, we've asked Dave Fish, and he, you know, he's had so much to do with the UTR. Uh, a lot of people that we need to talk to, but it's more to um, reinforce the message. It's not, you know, granted, okay, we'll talk to this guy about this and that. Uh, I like to tell people we're in this lane. We're, we're in, you know, we're in the lane of teaching and coaching. I mean, I've been in that position where, okay, I'm training someone to be a, a camp manager or training somebody to, you know, run a pro shop. And, um, but I just think our lane is to help people with teaching and coaching. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you to Dennis Vandermeer and all those, that are, all those that are involved still in the PTR and keeping his message alive, yourself included, myself included. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. I think that concludes our discussion on Dennis, right? Yeah. 44 podcasts. We're going to be close to 52. So now we just have Vic to cover for the eight, eight pillars we have. Yeah. That'll be coming up in the next few weeks. We'll probably go a few on that, at least a couple, two, three. And then we're going to start having Andy Fitzell sing. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Lister. Appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate it. Find us online, Great Base Tennis, uh, on social media and uh, greatbasetennis.com. We've got free courses out there. Give us a rating on Apple. We'd appreciate it. And until next time, thanks for listening. Adios. Thanks again.